Yo, hello everybody. Welcome back for another Coach Dan podcast. Roller Derby. Playing better roller derby. Leading better roller derby. Running a better roller derby league. Results on and off the track. That's what we're hoping to get at. That's what I'm digging for. And we're going to, today, we're going to talk about something a little more practical. My first couple of podcasts, they focused on this sort of big picture philosophy, if I had to throw large words at it. And this one, I want to get into some just very simple tips that I can give you to make your practices better. But let, let's let's first talk about practice itself. Why is practice so important for most leagues for most skaters well over 90% of their interaction with your team your league and everything to do with your organization will come through practice for most from most skaters over 90% of their interaction with your league will come through practice now i know that there's events and games and there's bouts set up and there's all these other things that you can get involved with not to mention it's hard to tell how much social media interaction plays into this but when you think about how much time is spent together at practice it at least it motivates me to uh, to run better practices to really break down what makes a practice better or how to create a better practice. Now I said in my last two podcasts that my focus is on small leagues, small towns, small, small organizations. And there's a reason for that. If you are a large league in a large city with a steady inflow of new humans on a regular basis, then you um you're constantly recruiting if you have enough for like three for three teams or more this probably is the type of league i'm talking about how you run practices isn't nearly as it it almost needs to be like a formula almost like an assembly line because you just have so many bodies coming into door in the door you can't really serve all of them and you have to find the right ones so you can run what i would consider more of a military style or uh, formulaic assembly line style practice to find and develop people that you want for your teams. Uh, you have a you have what's called a very good problem. It's a good problem to have. You have a lot of people showing up on a regular basis. You have a good inflow of new bodies and athletes. Maybe you have a juniors program that feeds into that too. That's a very good problem. And you can do things a lot differently than what I'm going to describe. Uh, what I'm going to describe is for small leagues, and there's a reason for that. Because if you are in a small league, maybe you have an A team, maybe you have a B team or half a B team most of the time, then you need to face a certain reality. And the sooner you learn to do it, the better. And that reality is that not everyone is cut out to be a roller derby player. And within driving distance of your practices, there are only so many people in the area you live that are cut out for what this brings. Not only that, of the people who are cut out for it, there are only so many that have the money and the time. And on top of that, there are only so many that don't have uh, other conflicts that arise, such as bodily injuries, 
nine month nine month in injuries as in pregnancy and just other priorities in general. So when you are limited in the in the amount of people who can come to your practice, the amount of people who can be involved in your league, retention is much more important. Um, re and getting the best that you can out of each person who's able to make that commitment of time, money, and effort. So when they show up to your practices, it is important that if you are able, that they feel that they are valued and they feel that they are respected and they feel welcome. So kind of three things there. They should feel valued, respected, and welcome to the best of your ability. There will be personalities and exceptions that you cannot satisfy. Uh, people who come in and expect something that your league is unwilling to waver on. That's why it's important to figure out your league's mission statement, your league's values, what your league believes, so that you can weed out people who don't fit that right away. Because some people you can't please. But for as many as possible, you want them coming back. And you need to figure out how they can fit into your team. And you have to figure out how to get the most out of them while giving them the awesome derby experience that they want. Uh, a mutually beneficial relationship. A non-zero-sum game, so to speak. So practice is where all this happens. If your skaters feel welcome at practice, respected at practice, if they feel valued at practice, and if they leave feeling good about what they did, they're more likely to come back. If they show up to practice and feel like nobody notices they're there, if they show up to practice and feel like they're an outcast and that only the cool kids are the welcome ones, and if they show up to practice and just are going through the motions and feel like maybe they're treated in a way different than what they hoped or expected, then they're more likely to leave. And remember, we have to try to get the most out of the people in this smaller population community because a very small, small number of them are really cut out for this and have the time and the money to make this work. So if, if they if they can meet us there, we've got to meet them the other halfway and we've got to get the most out of it. So with that in mind, with the idea of retention in mind, we, I've got three things today, three practical tips, three things that you as a practice leader, or a league can do differently to help achieve these goals. And it's just a quick little three of list that I'm going to go down. So each of them sort of play into each other. And I'm going to start with one that's very, well, it's interesting. Uh, number one is don't shout. Number one is don't shout. Now I am talking specifically about leaders shouting. I'm not talking about on the track. Derby communication is important. I'm not trying to take away from the uh, way that you must communicate on the track. And every team I've found will have some amount of shouters on the track. I'm not discouraging that. I'm saying you as the leader, as the person in the middle running the show, when you are organizing your drills, your practice, when you are asking your players to do things, I'm, I, I'm suggesting that you don't shout now. Right away, like what are the benefits of that? Uh, the idea of welcoming and respecting people, I, if you do not shout at them, I think they're more likely to feel welcome and respected. I also, I, I, I feel that they are more likely 
to stop reacting. Uh, everybody might come in with a certain preconception of what shouting is. And not to make it worse, not everybody has a sports background. Not everybody has played team sports. Now, if you played team sports in high school where everybody who showed up was expected to perform in a certain way and their children and they're expected to listen to adults, you may be very familiar with a shouting style to try to get you to do th things. But adults, and particularly those that didn't play sports growing up, may have a very different reaction to being shouted at. A very different reaction. And that negative, uh, con that negative feeling can build up. And I found that there isn't a lot that you can do to try to work against that, to try to condition them, hey, I'm only shouting because I want to get what I need to say out quickly, something like that. Explaining it doesn't seem to work. If they don't like being shouted at, they do not like being shouted at. And they will always associate negative feelings with your shouting. So uh, I, I didn't just invent this strategy. I learned it because Bonnie Destroyer came and did a camp uh, five years ago, did a day practice session with a, our team. And I mainly watched her for presentation. And she did not shout. She always made people come in and create a pretty tight circle if they wanted to hear her speak because she wasn't going to talk much louder than this. And I really like the delivery and I've learned some other ways to make it my own. So a few other things about shouting. Often shouting is in endurance drills where there are laps, intervals, things of that nature. I take a pretty different approach. Instead of standing in the middle and shouting at my skaters what I want them to do, such as plow stops on the whistle, etc., I will not just stand in the center and yell it and expect them to hear it. For one thing, they rarely hear it. You usually have to repeat yourself multiple times, which means you have to shout multiple times. Also, if you look around at the skaters who are trying to hear you, they usually have a look of almost panic on their face because they're scared that what is about to happen is going to make them look stupid and they won't know what's going on. So you can alleviate all of that with a few simple changes in behavior. I stand near the apex uh, on one of the turns. A group of skaters goes by and I say at about this volume what we're going to do next. They look at me, they nod, they go by. I wait about a second and a half and then another group of skaters skates by and I tell them what we're going to do next. And they look and they nod and they go on their way. And then I see the next group and I tell them. I usually only have to repeat this three times. If I were to shout in the middle, I would probably have to repeat it two times. So I'm maybe repeating myself one more time than I would otherwise. But I am sure that I have full comprehension because I spoke to everybody within a range that they could understand. And I make eye contact with all of them, not just the ones directly in my line of sight. And then when we do launch into the next drill interval or whatever we are doing, there's almost 100% full participation. Nobody has that feeling of looking stupid or trying to figure it out on the fly. It works very well. Also, when we bring it in, I do not yell at everybody to bring it in. I do not shout. Remember, this is, this is part of getting the tactic right. Uh, what I have is I have a Bluetooth speaker hooked up to music. I'm always playing rather happy music, music that I would describe as pop music, a mix of like 80s, 90s, 2000s, etc. And it's just trying to get people to get out of their own head as much as possible. If there's music in the background, sometimes they can zone into the music and out of their own head. And it seems to work very well for creating an upbeat vibe at practice, even if it's not 
everybody's favorite type of music. But I have this connected to a speaker. And when I want to talk to the team, when I want them to bring it in, I just turn the music down. I turn it down slowly, like a button at a time. I don't abruptly pause it. I just turn it down one, one click at a time until it's at zero. And when the skaters hear the music coming down, at this point, they've almost been trained. In the beginning, I had to kind of stand there and look at them all until they came over to me. But now at this point, we're pretty much trained. The music starts coming down. The skaters start coming into the middle. They get into a tight circle. We talk about what we're going to do. That's another way to avoid shouting. Something that has always served me well in life and in business and in coaching has been to be my own devil's advocate. I think of the counter argument for what I am proposing, and then I figure out how to deal with that argument. Or sometimes if I can't beat that argument, I defeat my own proposal in the first place. So my own devil's advocate would say, well, shouting is important because I need to get the players, a coach would say that shouting is important. I need to get the players used to my voice so that in the game, in the moment when it's loud and crazy, I can shout something to them and they will do it. This is, this is correct. If your goal is to be properly understood and reacted to in a game, then getting the players to respond to your voice is a good tactic. I would say that it is not a big picture tactic though. For me, the big picture tactic, if I have to shout to a player to do something and then they hear me and then do it, and that is success, we could be much more successful if the shouting could be completely erased entirely if the player themselves knew exactly what needed to be done in the moment and just did it. We would remove however many seconds were needed for me to shout, the player to hear, the player to comprehend, and the player to take action. It could simply be the player seeing and taking action. I've seen many coaches on the bench who shout and shout uh, for, let's say your jammer is stuck and they're shouting for a star pass, a star pass, pass the star, star pass. They're shouting to the pivot, get to the star. They're shouting to the jammer, make the star pass. Uh, the players on the bench start shouting. If this is a familiar scene, give me an amen and give me a hallelujah. I am in a position where right now I will say it once or maybe twice but if the players aren't taking this action on their own, what I'm trying to mentally note is that we did not practice it enough. If I want something to happen in the game, I must make it happen in practice, much more than it would ever happen in a game. Therefore, what I'm really saying, after I've maybe tried to send the message once or twice and it hasn't been received, is we need to work on star passes more at practice, where there is no yelling required. We need to build the instinct. So if you are solving the big picture, Get the players to stop worrying about the sound of your voice and start w figuring out what they need to do in all these situations in a game and give them those tools at practice. Okay, so first thing was don't shout. The second one is very, very related to this. Very, very related. Blow less whistles. Less whistles, please. If you are questioning why this is or what about this, I've got to first have a little rant. I've got to have a little rant. So roller derby is one of the most whistle-filled sports, possibly the most whistle-filled sport that exists. You just don't hear this many whistles watching any other major sport, soccer, football, basketball. And in almost all of those situations, the whistles stop play for everybody. In, in a lot of cases, not in all cases, 
But in a lot of cases, hockey, I mean, derby is a sport where every jam starts with a whistle. There's a whistle to get people to get ready for the whistle. There are 12 whistle blasts at the end of a jam. There's a whistle for every penalty. There's whistles for lead. It is a whistle-filled sport. And what, I think that one of the greater mistakes that we can make as coaches and leaders is to train our players to constantly be responding to those whistles. For the most part, aside from the first whistle that starts a jam, I would and the like 12 whistle blast that ends a jam. I think that goes without saying. I think everybody knows that means a jam is off. I don't want my players responding to whistles during a game or during a jam because if they're stopping and turning their head at every whistle, that's a lot of leads and a lot of penalties, and they can be very distracted. What I want them to respond to penalty-wise is their number. Uh, but in the most part, I don't want them constantly doing things when whistles blow. So now I'll give you an example of some common uses of whistles at practice. Um, if you are, say, running a pace line drill, and every time you want somebody to go do the thing in the pace line drill, you blow a whistle to send them, you are conditioning them to respond to that whistle, that every time they hear a whistle, they go. Let's compare that to actual gameplay. When the whistle blows to start a jam, yes, you can go, but is making a sudden movement really what you need to do? Not always. In fact, if your players instinctively, the second they hear that starting the jam whistle start rolling forward, that is a disadvantage in modern roller derby. Um, if they hear a penalty whistle and they instinctively jerk forward or turn their head around, that is distracting them or also causing them to do something different. And whistles are not pleasing on the ears. If you ever want to do a very unfun experiment, put on a roller derby game and then go into the next room or go outside. Have the volume to where you can't if you're like two rooms away or a floor away, you can't hear the commentators. You can't hear the crowd. All that you'll hear when you're about a floor or a few rooms away is those whistle blasts. They are loud, they are shrill, and they blast through everything. They don't feel welcoming. <laughs> they feel very intimidating. They feel very authoritarian, as in, I blow the whistle, now you do something. And it's one more thing you, the coach, have to do, blowing a lot of whistles. So let's take a drill that would normally always start on the whistle, a, a drill where basically you're doing you're practicing jam starts and the, the jammer lines up, the blockers line up, and then the jammer goes and the blockers block them. Almost everybody puts a whistle into these situations to tell people when to go and when to stop. I tell my blockers, make eye contact with the jammer. And if the jammer makes eye contact at you and everybody's ready, the jammer is going to go when they are ready. No whistles. At the same time, when they reach a certain point, a certain number of feet or whatever, whatever the out of play is, I will probably say out of play, I won't blow whistles, and we'll continue. It's just any place that you can remove a whistle, the better. Every spot that you can remove a whistle blast, the better, in my opinion. That's now, again, my own devil's advocate has arguments against this, but I really think that the pros, without getting into all of them, outweigh the cons here. And... I would strongly suggest that any point where you're blowing a lot of whistles for a drill, see if there's a way around that. Um, one of my one of the visuals I use the most for this is a, a warm up that I watch a team do recently, and you could tell the coach 
was out there. He was he was very much the the type of coach that usually comes to Derby from somewhere else. Uh, a guy who probably learned this playing sports in middle school or high school, and that is the coach who you know says you do this and you do it. End of question. And he had his whistle, and they did a pace line, and he blew a whistle for every time somebody started, and he blew a whistle for every time there was to be like a move, stop, hit, or you know something within the pace line, and the players just looked so uncomfortable and so unhappy the sound was just whistle 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 the players just looked grumpy 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 and when i went to the bathroom just to get out of there i could hear the whistles in the stadium bathroom like outside of what was supposed to be like these soundproof glass i could still hear these whistles and i just it just all came home to me can we can we please blow less whistles you're making people feel less welcome you're building more of an authoritarian culture, and I just don't think it's necessary. Hey there, friends. Want to know how you can support the Power Through the Fourth Whistle Roller Derby podcast and look super cool doing it? Our store has a bunch of roller derby designs that can be put on all kinds of super soft, high quality t-shirts, tank tops, sweatshirts, hoodies, notebooks, mugs, stickers, blankets, and more at Threadless. Whether you love cartoon animals on roller skates, like our Apex Predator T-Rex or Jamma Llama, to messages like Roller Derby Strong and My Mom Plays Roller Derby, there's really something for everybody. Visit powerforthwhistle.threadless.com that's p-o-w-e-r the number four t-h-w-h-i-s-t-l-e dot threadless.com thank you for your support and back to our show all right gonna get off my whistle rant gonna get off my whistle rant but i hope you try it and we're gonna move on to number three and this one's gonna seem really funny don't talk so much. I talk too much. That's why I have this podcast <laughs> to talk and say a bunch of the things I know if I made time for it, practice would be wasting everybody's time. If you are a leader, you very, very likely talk too much. Yes, you out there, you talk too much. So do you other person listening. We all, as leaders, likely talk too much. How, do, how else did we end up as leaders, right? We probably talked to people, shared ideas. People said, they sound like they have good ideas. They'd be a good leader, and you end up leading. And you think that now you have a platform, and everybody has to listen to you, so to speak. You get to say all the things and express all the ideas you have and say all the things you want to say. And it, it turns almost every practice or every break and every practice into a new monologue. And I'm, I can tell you very comfortably in all likelihood, you are talking too much. So what's the cure? What's the solution? Well, first thing is really choose your words. Yes, we have to explain the drill. Uh, we definitely have to explain the why of the drill. We'll get into how to like put together explanations of drills and build great practices in a future episode. You have to explain the why of the drill and what the drill is. Do you have to explain all of this? Maybe not. Is there a skater who could assist in explaining this drill? Who could do the demo and explain what goes on in the drill? If so, get their help. 
So you have to do that. At some point, you have to provide feedback and encouragement, but probably not as much as you think. You probably, if you're the typical derby playing leader that I've met, need to express about a 20% as much as you are, about a fifth as much as you are right now. Not everything everybody does requires a reaction from you. Sometimes you, if they look at you, you can give them a nod. You can clap your hands a few times. You don't have to go into depth on everything that happens. Uh, and this is another one. Stop turning everything that happens into a coaching moment, especially if you are confident that the player knows what they did wrong. This is a really important one. Even your best players and your most driven players will make a mistake that they know is wrong. You do not need to stop the practice and point out the mistake. You don't even need to point out the mistake to them. If they know it, they've got it. You don't have to say anything. Trust me, all that they want to do is forget it happened and try to do better next time. The last thing they want to do is hear from you. And the last thing, last thing they want to do is have you stop practice to talk about it. So try to know your spots to stop things for coaching. A lot of coaches try to fix everything going wrong within a drill right away. You need to step back, let your players, trust your players, and let your players figure out what they're doing wrong and get better at it. We'll get more into building drills that let players learn how to coach themselves and each other to take a little bit of the load off you in the future. But first you have to get your head around this concept. You talk too much. I talk too much. I know. I can say it. Um, so keep that in mind. Like I said, in the future, we'll get more into specifically how to create drills environments where skaters can coach other skaters and where players can coach and learn from themselves uh, more by doing things than having somebody in their ear all the time. I promise you it's twice as effective as finding a dialogue for everything that happens. So here it is at practice. More skating, more encour encouraging, yes, but aside from that, less talking, less talking. I know that's a hard one, and it's really ironic coming from somebody who's been talking about Derby for another 25 minutes right here on this podcast right now, but I promise you it is a, a good lesson both in self-restraint and it will help build up and encourage others. You'll get more out of others. We'll get into that on a future episode. So to recap, three things you can stop and do less of, stop doing or do less of at practice. Don't talk so much. Don't shout. And don't blow so many whistles, please. All right. We're going to leave it there with some practical advice. I've got, I'm really excited about a derby game that my team is playing this weekend. I hope to be back next week and tell you all about it. Along with, we'll add three things that you should be doing more of at practice. All right. Thank you very much for listening. This is Coach Dan. And until next time, I'm out of here. And I'll see you on the track. Can't forget that one.